we want to become. Also answers the question, what do we want, where do we want to go? Uh, for those that are visiting with us, we, at the beginning of the year, we mentioned to the people, the folks here, that we're going to be evaluating, looking at the ministry. Look at our strengths, weaknesses, how we can build on our strengths. Part of that, the outflow of that was this, as what, where are we going? What do we want to become like? As we talk about a vision statement, as we, as we look up there, Faith Bible is a church displaying the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we want to become. So what we've been looking at uh, in preparation for that is the, some key elements, what's going to help us to become that, and some essentials, some foundational principles. Uh, here's the thing. Programs can change. Personnel can change. Even strategies can change. But these five essentials we're going to talk about, these are foundational principles. So regardless of the personnel, regardless of the programs, regardless of the strategy, these essentials that we'll, I'm going to get to in the second half of my message, these essentials are the same. These are foundational principles. But our vision statement, as we see there, is the Faith Bible is a church displaying the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel and, and again, of Jesus Christ, very specific gospel. It's not another gospel. It's not another message, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The three key elements that I'm going to tie into communion this morning. The first one is intentional. We do things on purpose for a purpose. As we talk about our, our strategy to a church displaying the glory of God by making disciples, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to be intentional. We want to do things on purpose for a purpose. One of the things that we do on purpose for a purpose is communion. We do this on purpose. We do this for a purpose. As we look at the scripture there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 20, uh, 33, the first thing we do at verse 23, we look back to his command. In chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord... That which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now if we go back and read that account, the night that he was betrayed, before he went out, he broke bread, and we'll read through the rest of scripture, and he tells us about the cup and about the, the bread itself. But this was a command. This was what Paul had received from the Lord himself to deliver to the church at Corinth. They were doing it in a wrong way. It was primarily the, the problem here. But we do communion... As we look back, because it's commanded. Think, one other thing you'll see through the passage here, it says, for often as they eat this bread and drink this cup. Some churches practice, uh, celebrate or uh, have communion every Sunday. Some churches have it once a year, Easter. Some have it twice a year, Easter and Christmas. Some only have it every four months. There's no criteria set up in Scripture exactly how often you're supposed to have it. It's just when you have it, when you do have communion, this is how you're supposed to do it. So we do it, do communion on purpose with a purpose. We look back to what the scripture tells us about it. Now in verse 24 and 25, it causes us also to look up to the cross. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also looked, took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Did they comprehend, totally understand exactly what he was talking about? No. But once the, the crucifixion took place and he was buried and resurrected, 
Then it's like the light bulb went on and says, oh, now I get it. So as we, as we intentionally participate in communion on purpose, for purpose, we not only look, or look back to the command, but we look up to the cross. This, this does not save us. What this represents is what God did through Christ on the cross so we could have eternal life. This is, as, as we look at the next one, we look forward to his coming. This is a promise. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we celebrate communion on purpose, for purpose, it's also we look forward to what? The promise he's coming again. Listen, he could come today. We look back to the command. We look up to the cross. And can it be? It's amazing love. Yes, it can be. It's incredible love that he extended to us through Christ. So we look forward to his coming and intentionally, uh, on purpose, for a purpose, we look within for his cleansing. Chapter tw- or verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let him examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sickly among you. Many sleep. For if we had judged ourselves, we would not be judged. We celebrate communion on purpose with a purpose. And part of that intentional celebration of communion, this is a time for self-examination. This is, t- this is a time to look within to his cleansing. Don't participate in an unworthy manner. You have to ask yourself these two questions. Am I saved? If you died right now, do you know that you would go to heaven? Are you saved? The second question you have to ask yourself, am I, if I am saved, am I walking in obedience to the word of God? Listen, I, I say this as a warning to you, not as a threat to you. I say this from a pastor's heart. Examine yourself. Do not participate in unworthy matter. It would be better for you not to participate than to sit there and worry what other people are going to think around you if you don't. Your concern should be, what does God think of me? And as I said, this has nothing to do with salvation. This doesn't give you salvation. This doesn't give you an extra, extra bucket of grace. This is just in remembrance. We remember what Christ has done for us. The blood or the cup represents his blood. It doesn't become his blood. It is not his blood. It's a symbol of his blood. The bread is a symbol of his body that has been broken for us. It doesn't become his body. It doesn't... It, it doesn't uh, isn't his body, it's a representative, it's a symbol. So as we intentionally celebrate communion on purpose for a purpose, we look back to the command, we look up to his cross, we look forward to his coming, and we look within to his cleansing. Remember the three key elements, intentional, the second one is relational. As we seek to display the glory of God by making disciples, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only do we want to be intentional, just like we celebrate communion, but we want to be relational. This is the one another. This is the reciprocal relationship. As I build my fellowship with you, you're building your fellowship with me. As I care and concern and pray for you, you're caring and concerning, uh, concerned for me and praying for me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait for one another. 
again, we have the, relation, the, the relational side of communion. As we come together, there, there, is a, it, there is a interpersonal relationship going on with each other. And one of the, the th- things I picked out, out of that is, first of all, as we come to this celebration, we ought to come in unity. Each one of us ought to be able to sit here and say, at this point in time, as I participate, I am right with God. I am walking with God where I ought to be. There's the unity, a unity of faith, a unity of spirit, a unity, a unity among the brethren, one another. Also, there's patience. He says, wait for one another. Be patient for one another. This ought to permeate our lives anyway as we as our relationship with each other. But as we come together, there ought to be patience. Not a judgmental spirit of each other, but a patience, understanding, you know what? God's working in your life different than he's working in mine. But you know what? He's working in both our lives. He's still working on me just like he's working on you. There's patience with one another. Thoughtfulness. Wait for one another. Takes away that judgmental attitude and that spirit, doesn't it? And a right relationship with one another. Certainly, if there's a, if there's a difficulty going on within our church family between you and somebody else, maybe you don't know what it is, maybe you do know what it is, but the unity brings back the aspect of, of bringing back the fellowship. It's the one another. It's relational. Communion, we celebrate it intentionally, but communion is also a relationship. That's the, that's the second, essential, or second key element as we talk about our vision. The third key element is discipleship. Why do we keep the children in here? Some of them, and most of them, do not participate because either they're not saved or they've not been baptized yet. Uh, They don't quite understand it, and that's fine. So why do we keep them in here? It's discipleship. This, This is a teachable moment. This do in remembrance of me. Every time we celebrate this, we are remembering, we are remembering what God, through Christ, has done for us. And just like in the Old Testament, remember when Joshua, uh, chapter 3 and 4, they crossed the Jordan River. As the priests were carrying the, the uh, ark, as soon as they touched the water, the river itself, as it flowed, stopped. And it says the water began to build up as it flowed down. It would build up to a wall here. And the priests, as they walked across, the Bible also tells us they walked across in dry, dry ground. It's a miracle, folks. It's a miracle. They walked across in dry ground, and where they stopped in the center of the river till all the children of Israel passed, uh, figuring someplace over a million, maybe two or three million, uh, children of Israel passed over the river to get over to Gilgal, to the other side of the, the Jordan. God told Moses, said, by the way, where the, where the priests were standing... I want you to take out 12 large boulders, one for each tribe of Israel. Big enough that a man could carry. And when you get across the river to where you stop, which would happen to be at Gilgal, they put up these, they piled up these rocks. And it said, so it will be when you go with your children down by the Jordan and you see this memorial, you can tell them what God has done. This... This is a means of discipleship for our children to tell them, you know what, this is what God has done. And as we remember these things as a memorial, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, communion itself represents those three key elements as we talk about 
our vision statement. Intentional. Relational. And discipleship. Let's have the men come forward, please, that are helping to serve this morning. Before we serve the elements, I want to take a few moments for you to be able to bow your head, search your hearts, uh, and prepare yourself for participation. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to come at this time and celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection. I pray that you help us to do it in the right spirit, knowing that at this point in time, Lord, that we are walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bill, would you lead us in prayer, please, for the bread? Father God, we thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. Uh, thank you for our salvation. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the bread, which is an example, a sample of your body. And Lord, we just uh, can't really imagine being here without you in our life. I pray for anyone that isn't here that doesn't know you, Lord. Thank you again. We look forward to when we can sup with you eternally. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your blood spilled on our behalf and that we can uh, celebrate the victory that we can have with you with this uh, representation this morning. Father, I pray that that celebration would go beyond uh, this representation but would go to the coming week and that each of us would, would walk in a manner worthy that our lives would be filled and filling with, with righteousness. Lived in appreciation for, for what you've done for us. I see things in Jesus. Amen. The song we sang 61 as I was looking back over my notes uh, as we've celebrated communion in the last three or four months I think, I think we've sung this talk, song at least three times. <clears throat> And can it be? This is why. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who, got, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The last verse goes like this. No condemnation now, I dread. Jesus... And all in him is mine, alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Drink ye all of it. As we talk about the five essentials, we talk about the three key elements. These five essentials. Now remember I said, people can change. Personnel may change. Programs may, may change. Strategies may change. But these foundational principles, these five essentials are essential to this ministry. The first, of course, as we talked about several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I guess now, is truth. We want to proclaim truth. We want, to, we want to visibly and verbally proclaim truth for the purpose of personal growth, 
practical application through his word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Proclaim truth. This is a foundational principle. This is an essential of faith Bible church. Proclaim truth. The second one, as we talk about, is relationships. Love God and love others. There in uh, Mark chapter 12. Love God and love others through caring relationships, mutual accountability, and loving acts of service. This is essential. This is a foundational principle of Faith Bible Church is relationships. Am I good at it? No. I have to work at it. Are you good at it? Some of you are better than others. Why do we have a meet and greet time, for instance? Well, at least that's at one time in the week you can meet and greet someone. But you, ha- you have a responsibility to love others and love God to be building relationships throughout the week. Why do we have small groups? To intentionally help build what? Relationships. Uh, why do we have Sunday school classes? Intentionally build relationships, to love God and love others. Why do we stu- study the Word of God? Why do we celebrate communion? To love God. It's a fellowship together, to build a relationship with Him. It's a relationship. And the third is the one we'll talk about this morning, is worship. This is to adore Christ. Adoring Christ, now repeat after me, God-exalting, Word-saturated, Spirit-led worship. God, to adoring Christ through God-exalting, Word-saturated, Spirit-led worship. God-exalting. God-exalting, of course, is His attributes. We've talked about uh, several weeks ago. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's immutable, which means He's changeless. He's faithful. He's gracious. He's merciful. When we worship, we want to exalt God. Part of communion, for instance, is to exalt God because he loved us so much he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. We want to, yes, we recognize the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, but it's because God saw fit to send for us a perfect sacrifice. We want to exalt God, God exalting, word saturated. And we've talked about this before. It goes back to proclaim truth. We want to be people of the book. But we also need to be people that are living the book. Word-saturated. Spirit-led. Uh, this is one of the things that uh, most churches like ours, we kind of stay away from because we don't want to be accused of being Pentecostal or charismatic. This is not what I'm referring to. This is what we know about the Spirit of God. At the time of salvation, we are indwelt with the, with, with the Spirit. He indwells us. At the time of salvation... We are baptized into the body of Christ. That's a spirit baptism. That, in other words, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you have an immediate identification with any Christian in the world because you've been baptized. That's a spirit baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's, and, and then the, final, the third one is a sealing. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. These three things happen immediately at the time of salvation, and from the tense of the verbs, we, we realize that they only happen one time. You don't get a third baptism, a fourth baptism, a fifth baptism. You're baptized in the body of Christ once. You're indwelt with the Spirit of God once. And you're sealed with the Spirit of God once. Simply means this. You are guaranteed. It's like you, not that it would happen today, but if you were to go to the bank and put some money in the bank and you were guaranteed a 9% interest rate for the rest of your life. When he sealed us, he guaranteed to us eternal life. 
and it happened one time at the time of salvation. But there's a fourth ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit there in Ephesians chapter 3. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that filling mean? By the way, that, that, the tense of that verb is to be an ongoing process. To be filled means to be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about having a Spirit-led worship, we want to have a worship that is controlled by the Spirit of God. We don't want to get all wild and crazy, but we want to be directed and controlled by the Spirit of God. Listen, when you come to, to the worship service on Sunday morning, it ought to be an extension of your way of life all week long. Is that true? If we're honest, we'd have to say what? No. Sometimes that's why we need to come to the worship service. But we are to be spirit-led. We are to be spirit-controlled, not just Sunday, but every day. We have a adoring Christ through God-exalting, word-saturated, spirit-led worship. There's a lot in all that, but I just want to talk about one thing today. Okay? I just want to talk about worship. There we go. Worship. Worship is defined as to focus on God because of Jesus Christ. That's a simple definition. I've seen long definitions of it. This is just a simple definition of worship. To focus on God because of Jesus Christ. As we come to worship, we want to focus on God because of Jesus Christ. Worship explained. In John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, pages 32 and 33, he makes this statement. What does it mean to glorify God? Now, when we think to glorify God, we think of honor, respect. He goes on. Glorify is like the word magnify. In relation to God, magnify has two distinct meanings. One is worship, and one is wickedness. You can magnify like a microscope. You make something tiny look bigger than it is. A dust mite can look like a monster. Pretending to magnify God like that is wickedness. Or you can magnify like a telescope. You make something unimaginably great look like what it really is. With the Hubble telescope, pinprick galaxies in the sky are revealed for the billion star giants that they are. Magnifying God like that is worship. We waste our lives when we do not pray and think and dream and plan and work toward magnifying God in all spheres of life. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. In the night sky of this world, God appears to most people, if at all, like a pinprick of light in a heaven of darkness. But he's created us and called us to make him look like what he really is. We are meant to image forth in the world what he really is. Worship explained, to image forth, we're to magnify in the world what God is really like. Just ask yourself now, do you do that? Do you image forth in the world what God is really like? Two questions. What did you learn about worship? Just a little bit we talked about it. What have you learned about worship? We have Sunday morning, this is corporate worship. We got together for corporate worship. But what is, you learn about worship. Worship is not an event. Worship's a lifestyle. When we came to worship this morning together, 
This ought to actually be an extension of our life. True or false? True, but is it an extension of our life? False. I, I ought to be magnifying, I ought to be setting forth the image of God, not just in my worship together in this corporate time, but it ought to be a lifestyle, a way of life. Often we've taken worship, when you put it in this little box, we put it in this category, we have a silo effect. When the truth of the matter is, this is wide open. It's a way of life. A God-exalting, word-saturated, spirit-filled, spirit-led worship. This ought to be a way of life. My life ought to be saturated with the word of God. I ought to be exalting God. I ought to be under the Spirit's controlling influence on a daily basis. Worship, as we come to this event, ought to be an extension of our life worship. So worship is not an event. It's a lifestyle. Second question. How can you intentionally image forth, magnify, in the world what God really is like? Live Christ. John chapter 1, it says, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. He. So suddenly we have this word identified. It must be a person. We get down to verse 14 of chapter 1 of John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among, among men. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Suddenly this word becomes flesh. And later we finally see him identified as who? Jesus. Jesus was the word. When you speak of Jesus... You're speaking of God. When you're speaking of God, you're speaking of Jesus. Why is that? Because they share the same attributes. God is faithful. God is righteous. God is love. God is just. God is omnipresent. Jesus is love. Jesus is truth. Jesus is just. Jesus is unchangeable. He's everything that God is. To speak of God is to speak of Jesus. To speak of Jesus is to speak of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Jesus. And then in Romans chapter 8 it says, For whom he foreknew, chapter 8, verse 28 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and we know that all things, I'm sorry, I got the verses mixed up there, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who are love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. My question is this, how can we image forth, how can we magnify to the world, in the world, what God is really like to live Christ? We're to be conformed to the image of his son. So if I'm going to image forth God, I mean to live Christ. Now, go to Colossians chapter 3. How can I live Christ? Verse 17. Verse 17 is a conclusion and a summary of the first 16 verses in that chapter. So how can I live Christ? Well, first of all, my communication or my, my conversation. He says there in verse 17. And whatever you do in word, whatever, by the word, the word whatever is all-inclusive. You know, listen, when I'm at home, the way I talk... When I'm at work, the way I talk. When I'm at church, the way I talk. When I'm with my unsaved friends, the way I talk. 
When I'm with my saved friends, the way I talk, it ought to be exactly the same. How can I live Christ? How can I image forth in this world God? My communication. Whatever you say, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can I say it and name his name? Secondly, not only our communication, but our conduct. It says, whatever you do indeed, whatever is all-inclusive, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at school, whether I'm at play, whether I'm with my unsaved friends or my saved friends, whoever I'm with, whatever I'm doing, how I conduct myself, can I do this in the name of Jesus? Will he approve it? Would he be proud of it? See, when I image forth God in this world, I can image it forth by my communication and, how, and my conduct. Whatever. Our consistency, he says, do all. Nothing's left out. Do all. All means all. That's all it means. Do all. Be consistent. You want to know whether you're consistent or not? Ask your children. Ask your mate. You'll find out real quickly whether you're consistent or not. You and I, if we're going to image forth God in this world, we need to be consistent. The third, the last one there, verse 17, sorry, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our gratitude. If, there, if there's anything in, the, in this day and age that ought to mark you as a believer imaging forth Christ is the aspect that you have an attitude of gratitude. You are just thankful. In a time when there's very little to be thankful for, you know what? You're still thankful. And when you're thankful, you are imaging forth God. I don't remember where it was. I, I think it may have been at a restaurant or something like that uh, where I, I, I don't usually do this. But I said, thank you. She'd filled my glass with water. I said, thank you. And she looked at me and said, thank you for thanking me. This, the world does not, they're not grateful. They, they, you know why? You owe this to me. You're here to serve me. Gratitude. If we're going to image forth in this world God, we need to live Christ. Our gratitude, our consistency, our conduct, and our communication. Let me close with this poem. C.T. Studd. He was a missionary. He lived from 1860 to 1931. Uh, he lived in the day when travel was really easy. I'm joking. He lived in the day when travel was difficult. He was a missionary in China, in India, and Africa. And he wrote this poem. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. By the way, he died on the mission field in Africa. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon it is fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep faithful and true whate'er the strife pleasing thee in my daily life only one life and it will soon be passed 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Worship is a way of life. To image forth, to magnify in the world God like he really is. Only one life. You got one shot. Don't blow it. Father, we thank you that we can come to you. And we pray, Lord, as not only as a church, but as individuals, that we truly may consistently, continually worship you, that we will magnify you, that we will identify to others you. Whatever we do, it will be consistently. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor Ken, I, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I've never accepted Christ my personal Savior. I'd like to have someone show me from the Word of God how I can be saved. Is there anyone like that? Secondly, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me that I would make worship a way of life. Is there anyone like that? Yes, others? Thank you, God, for working in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray.